had me at jello Playing the jello has so many pluses It never grows old Give it one listen, you'll see what Well, hello everybody, it's 5 o'clock on a Friday Time for a weekend of intensive practicing But first, a cello chat episode And I need to also mention that this cello chat is also sponsored by Tamarack Arts, which is a, a wonderful program that, uh, among other things, it, it, its main focus is on adult learners, which definitely do not learn the same necessarily in all cases as, as other age groups. So check them out. They're at tamarackarts.org. And then our guest, my guest this week is... Joel Bechtel, and I'm thrilled to have him with me, and you'll soon find out why. Joel, how are you doing? Excellent, thank you. How are you, Benjamin? I'm doing very well myself. Oh, I'm very much looking forward to this. It's great talking with you. Likewise. So can you just, for uh, to begin with, can you tell about your who you are and your musical background? Sure. Well, um, I am a concert cellist and teacher, and uh, I began playing cello in the fourth grade, and I'm about to enter, I think, 52nd grade or something. <laughs> so, um, you know, always learning. And uh, uh, so I've been playing the cello for most of my life, and uh, it has taken me on the world's greatest adventures. Um, I uh, enjoy both the playing and the teaching. My playing is pretty varied. I travel to play, so I get to play with different groups around the country and sometimes around the world. And I play on different kinds of cellos. I play on cello, what we what refer to in, in contrast with the Baroque cello as a modern cello, but I also play on Baroque cello and cello adjacent instruments, you could say. Um, and uh, I also have a, a career, a side career as a painter. And uh, I love it all. That's terrific. So I'm very excited to hear your thoughts about inspiration and about just art in general, uh, let alone music in particular. You there, there are two things in particular that have always struck me about you. You are at heart a truly creative soul. You know, I, you just, you live, you embody creativity. I love that. And then the other thing is you have a lot of initiative, which is also very valuable rather than people who kind of end up waiting for others to take the lead on things. That's not you either. So, for example, let's start in the field of music. Your initiatives, for example, the various groups that you have started and even some of the, the names that they have and the names you've given to your CD projects. Can you talk about some of your creative outlets in, in terms of performing on, on cello and Baroque cello and adjunct instruments. Sure. Well, that's all very nice of you to say, Benjamin. Um, you know, uh, I let's go sort of back to the beginning. I started um, kind of the typical way, right? There was a recruiting drive to get kids to play in the 
the elementary school orchestra. And the first inspiration that I experienced was that as chance would have it, um, as they put all the kids on, you know, to sit down on the floor in front of the visiting junior high school playing orchestra, um, I got sat in front of the cello section. And the, I mean, you could, you could literally say it just, it, it captured my body because the floor was rumbling. Uh, and I was close enough to the cello section to where I could feel that, that really physical element of what we think of as just sound, just something perceived orally. And then we treat it like language. We process it. We think about it. We enjoy it, whatever we do. Um, but uh, the music was just this physical presence. And I think that's probably what inspired me to fill out the little form and take it home and say, I want to play the cello. But from there, I, I basically followed the routine path. So when I was old enough, I joined a youth orchestra and then, you know, I was competitive in the chair auditions and I tried to do my best. And then I was in the all state orchestra. And then I decided to go to a music school and I got a bachelor's degree and I got a master's degree. And then, well, actually, while I was still in school, I did kind of what we were all expected to do as I took orchestra auditions. And before I graduated, I won an audition to play in the Buffalo Philharmonic. So I was just basically checking off the steps toward, uh, you know, a, a solvent music career. And of course, you know, in my early 20s, I was super excited to be in a famous orchestra that toured and, and things like that. Um, but it, you know, and I, I say this fondly and with respect, it grew old for me. Hmm. Um, I, you know, my, my final teacher in conservatory was a lifelong orchestra player, one of the most splendid cellists I've ever heard, Stephen Gaber. Um, and, uh, you know, to this day, an inspiration to me in terms of tone production and ease of playing and, and, and just beautiful playing. Um, and I kind of thought, wouldn't that be cool to just sort of try to follow in his footsteps? But it, it didn't work for me. It was a little too much the same thing. And um, even though it was a very good orchestra, it was just too much the same people. Uh, and I uh, kind of took a leap of faith and quit that orchestra. And I, I went to another orchestra, actually where you and I met in Austin, uh, Texas, and played principal in that orchestra, which had its own, uh, you know, different excitements, right? You know, playing solos and, and, and things like that. Uh, and at that time, because it wasn't as full time as my previous orchestra, I got to start playing in other groups. So that's kind of where I found the joy of maybe playing outside the mainstream. Um, and uh, so I was playing in, uh, in a small orchestra in New Mexico and playing in the Austin Symphony and um, eventually realized that I could take the best of those experiences and just start to create my own groups. And when the right person came along, maybe that would be the inspiration to start a new group. So there was Revel, which um, I founded, co-founded with uh, Carla McElhaney. She's a pianist. And then we invited friends to play with us there. Um, and then there's a, my current, I have two um, small chamber ensembles in where I live now, which is in New Mexico. One is called Movable Soul and S-O-L, like the sun. But uh, fortunately, there's a pun involved. And um, the other is called BWV, uh, 
based on the listing of boxworks, which is a, a Baroque instruments group. And both of those ensembles, I'm very happy to say, have concerts coming up in the next few weeks, uh, which is something we couldn't say for the past, you know, year and a half or so. So um, those are some of my musical activities. All right. Um, well, we, we sometimes save talking about upcoming things to the end, but this is a good segue too. Can you go ahead and tell about these upcoming concerts? You bet. Um, so BWV, the, the period instrument group, has um, at one time in the past and now again has uh, collaborated with another group called Archipelago. And um, it's kind of uh, just good, good luck that um, one of my friends and colleagues uh, who lives in Italy plays in the summer in the Santa Fe Opera. And she and her husband, uh, this Lisa Ferguson and Lorenzo Colito, are both um, also active as Baroque instrument players. And since they happen to be just up the road from me, uh, and we, you know, we got together a few years ago and decided that it would be fun to put on a Baroque concert. And so the first version of that was in 2019, and we had plans for the second one in 2020. And we had to let that pass by. But now we're doing it uh, in just a couple of weeks. In, uh, both in Santa Fe and Albuquerque, we'll be playing an ensemble of six players uh, presented by BWV, but it's the group uh, um, Archipelago. And then Movable Soul, which uh, is pianist Amy Greer and me, and then whatever friends we uh, are lucky enough to have join us. Um, we've also been on hiatus for quite some time, and we decided to um, take a chance and, and uh program a concert that will be performed outdoors in early September. Usually the weather's just fine. And um, it will be a benefit concert for a family services um, organization in Albuquerque called Peanut Butter and Jelly. And um, they're doing great work for families and kids. And we love that organization. And so we thought that it would be nice. Uh, we've, we've done benefits for them before. And so we thought this is a great way to reenter live performances by doing a benefit for them. Outstanding. Okay, now, in your timeline that you described, mm -hmm. you, um, well, I'm, I'm trying to think that some of at least the seeds for you going in additional directions surely started sooner. So for example, you did some radio broadcasting even while you were in New York, yes? Mm -hmm. That's right. How did, how did how, and, and likewise the paintings, you have a lot behind you and I know you do a lot of paintings on your own. I suspect that that was maybe uh, not a recent thing, but, but gradually evolving alongside the cello. The painting gestated for a very, very long time. And mm. you know, over the years, I would occasionally design a concert poster and maybe do a painting or a drawing for it. Um, but I always consider, you know, we have a tendency to look at the world sort of categorically. And if you think of, you know, a known name of a painter, you think of that person as a painter. Um, so you hear the name Monet and it's like, well, that's a painter. And you think, well, Ansel Adams, that's a photographer. Well, that guy was a terrific pianist. And that's always just a little sidebar. <laughs> Ansel Adams, the world famous photographer could also play the piano. 
the guy was seriously good and it was a big part of his life. And you, I've had the opportunity to actually hear recordings of him play and his beautiful playing. Um, but that just doesn't happen to be the way he made his living. And so we look at him as um, factually a photographer and then also curiously a guy who played the piano. Well, I, I think that really people aren't that categorical. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but I, unfortunately, I, I accepted that worldview for a long time. So I kind of denied myself opportunities to explore that for many, many years. Um, and, uh, you know, eventually I broke out of it, fortunately, you know, through the influences, whatever influences come your way in life, uh, you know, speaking with artists and uh, maybe sometimes just getting my courage and taking out the paints and, and the materials and doing something and saying, you know what, I'm just not going to stop doing this. I was going to say the, um, some advice that gets offered by a number of groups over the years is for say, for example, youngsters, young musicians, if they're going to try and, add some additional knowledge, skills, chops, is to get some business experience. And you have a also a remarkable amount of business experience. How, for example, did you get um, associated with uh, Eastman Strings and other, other music business uh, opportunities like that? Well, the way that happened was, um, well, so going, going back to the, maybe the, the, the root of, of that is that my teacher, when I was in elementary school, up through when I graduated from high school, uh, my private cello teacher um, was at that time a budding violin maker and went on to become a world famous violin and cello maker. Her name is Ann Cole. Um, I often play on one of her instruments and a lot of other people do too. Um, and I guess I was just uh, the, the upside of the downside. My, my family was busy and usually one parent would drop me off from my lesson and then somebody else would come and get me. And these were very short lessons and the family wasn't organized enough to come get me on time. And so <laughs> often, if I was the last lesson of the day, you know, she was sort of forced into the babysitter role after the lesson was over. So I would just accompany her out into her violin making workshop and she would give me a little task to do. Um, and of course, as a kid, that was extremely intriguing. And the sounds and the smells and the sights of the violin making studio are still captivating. So that sort of inadvertently, I got started learning about the construction of instruments and things like that. And I went on to learn more about it. Um, so that at a certain point, I mean, long story short, I had started making little inventions for cellists, like a, a different kind of end pin that's still on the market and things like that. And I got involved in the business of, you know, making and selling those and then eventually grew into a violin shop. And then when I sold that violin shop, Eastman Strings asked me to join their company. And in there, there I did marketing and product design. So um, at that point they were developing a, a, 
fiberglass and carbon fiber bows for students and professionals. And I was involved in the design process for those, um, you know, various things like that. I mean, the story of our instruments is every bit as intriguing and fascinating as the story of the music that they were designed to play. I mean, they really grew up hand in hand and they evolved together. And so if you're interested in the one, it's inevitable that, you know, if you're exposed to the other, you'll be interested in that too. And I was. Nice. Okay. So this is, this is very interesting to me that the way you describe it, even things like the somewhat the, the fortuitous situation of being sat in front of the cello section as a youngster during that, that particular concert. And so, um, you know, these things that just happen in our lives and when doors open and such, what's interesting to me about that is I remember, for example, the first time you came and gave a presentation at UT Austin when I was there, you were very inspirational and immediately gave me the impression that that you had you might have been one of these kids that from a very young age knew this is the 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 stuff I'm going to do and nothing in the world was going to stop you. So with your own students, what are some of the sorts of proactive things that you do to help uh, fire them up and and convey to them the sort of like what you said the willingness to take a leap of faith. Uh, that you have experienced in your musical path? Well, I think that the best way to convey enthusiasm and to maybe uh, encourage enthusiasm in others is to be enthusiastic. And um, I don't know if you can fake it. I suppose some days you have to fake it, right? But um, when, when you're really enthusiastic about anything, um, that's what makes you want to share it. That that's what makes makes it. You know, you want you want to be a proselytizer, somebody who just helps other people enjoy it too. I don't know exactly why we do that. Why we feel like I like this thing, and now I want you to like it too. But that's just, I guess, the way we're built. Um, and there is so much to be enthusiastic about in this business, the music business, whether it's you know. The, the history of the instruments, I love stories. And the, the second and third part of history is story, right? Uh, so the history of our instrument is, and, and of music in general is just, I mean, that's a great, great, great story. And how the instruments and the music making and the musicians changed over the generations is fascinating to me too. Um, so, you know, with a beginner, what you're looking at, so for, I was interested by the timbre of the instrument, right? The fact that it was a physical presence. Everyone has something that draws them in. Maybe they love a beautiful melody. Maybe they're attracted to the sound quality. Um, maybe they just heard a particular song or piece that inspired them. I think for the youngest students who still have a little trouble synthesizing their experience, you know, they have the difficulty of of learning bow technique and left-hand technique um, and then combining them, all of that stuff. It's really just kind of a exciting puzzle for them. So at that point, you just get involved in solving the puzzle. 
uh, maybe they get to where enough of the pieces are in place that they can actually be having and enjoying the musical experience. Okay, now we have a new level of, of experience to be excited about. Um, and then when they start to develop true artistry and they can really have from the inside the experience that maybe they've only experienced from the outside before, that's, that's just a huge revelation. That's just the most exciting thing ever. Um, and then along the way, there's the stories of the composers. There's, um, you know, a lot of the composers that we play, like the uh, composers of etudes were cellists. So we can talk about their specific technique. A lot of, um, we have a lot of received uh, wisdom or information in this world. And so this is how you hold a bow. This is how you hold your hand, etc. Well, it hasn't always been that way. And it's fun to know that, for example, the, the bow grip that we use now in the 21st century is pretty young. It, we used, all cellists used to hold the bow quite a bit further from the frog than they do now. And until quite recently. So if you look at, um, maybe you play the Lee um, etudes and, and, and melodic studies and so forth, which I love to pieces. Yeah. Um, that guy didn't hold his bow the way we held him. Mm. It's, just, it's just not the way they did back then. He also didn't use an end pin. He also had gut strings, right? So all of these things, uh, I mean, that was a tangent for which I apologize, but uh, <laughs> there it is. I mean, the, the, the music that he wrote was, was a, 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 was a different generation of music, not just he, that he lived a long time ago, but the music was different. The instrument was different. The way it was played was different. So all of those things come into it. There's just absolutely, as far as I can see, no end to the intriguing details. That's, that's excellent. So I'm just, I have to ask, given that you have eschewed the idea of Joel Bechtel is just a cellist, you know, Ansel Adam is just a photographer. Are there other arts, for example, that you're uh, chomping at the bit to also explore theater or dance or, you know, kind of all of them, frankly. Um, you know, I, I, I do paint a lot and that's actually a professional pursuit of mine. Um, in the past, I did work as a photographer and I still love photography. Um, and there comes that point where you kind of have to make choices. I hate that. <laughs> I hate <laughs> that it, choosing something also means choosing not to do something else sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's the hardest thing for me. So I still have my cameras and I still, look at them and make sure they're in working order. And I think to myself someday. <laughs> um, and actually it's funny you should mention dance. Uh, it's absolutely nothing anyone wants to see. But I did take a modern dance class when I was in conservatory because it was sort of, the teacher treated the, the dance class as um, like, a, she had taught a, a, a um, at a festival where I attended, she taught something called movement for musicians. And it was, you know, there are a lot of these things like the Alexander technique and um, yoga and all of these things that we try to combine our uh, physical action with our sort of artistic expression. And um, after taking that music uh, movement for musicians course and doing very badly, frankly, she just encouraged me to 
take her her beginning modern dance. She said, that's the same thing. Um, I got a lot out of it. Absolutely no one else did uh, from my, from not from what I did, um, but it was great for me. Um, and it helped me appreciate, you know, one of the things that, that I think that's very important is that participating in something, whether you do it on a professional level or not, is, is really the key to, to great experiences in life. And um, we have a tradition now of passive audiences, audiences who leave their day job. And if they're lucky enough to be able to afford a ticket, go and hear the symphony or the opera or whatever it is. And I can't even begin to count the number of times somebody has said to me after a concert, well, I have no musical skill at all. I just enjoy listening. Well, that's kind of a 21st century thing. Um, and we have this idea that we have to specialize and we can't do those things that we don't specialize in. When I teach, I have a student going off to conservatory like in a week now, but I have other, another student that I met for the first time two weeks ago who had never played the cello before. So that's a pretty wide range of experience in my studio. And of course, there's a special thrill when one of my students leaves the studio to become my colleague. Right. That's super exciting. And I've had the the very fulfilling experience of playing ensembles and ensembles uh, professionally with people who used to be my students. I love that. But I, but that's only a few of the students. The rest of them may pursue careers outside music or maybe adjacent to music, but not as performers. Um, and some of them may have nothing to do with music outside their cello lessons. And those people I tend to refer to as musical citizens. These are people who are citizens of the world of music in a way that's not just passive. Mm. That they, um, when, when they see a cellist on stage, they can have a physical sense of what that person is doing. Um, and they understand the complexity and they also, when they play a piece of music, I still feel like even a piece of music I know very well from having heard it, when I play it for the first time, if that should happen, uh, I still gain insight into how the piece works on a, on a musical and, 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 and emotional level. And so for people to be able to have that experience is just a huge enhancement to their experience of music. So... Um, a lot of the students that, that go through any studio, uh, they're doing it for enjoyment, but I think it is more even as enhancement um, that when they go and listen, they're part, they're not just passive, they're part of the conversation. Yeah. I don't know if that had anything to do with the question you asked me. <laughs> hey, it's, it's very very well said. It's, it's um, exactly the sort of stuff we need to hear. Well, Joel, as I said earlier, it's just always great to talk with you. It's my and pleasure. I, I sure appreciate this interview. I sure appreciate your time. Well, thank you for, for asking me, and I'm really glad we had the chance. Excellent. All right. So viewers, Check out Joel Bechtel's website, the, the art, the CDs, everything, the upcoming performances. And be sure to check out Winger Jones Publications. And then come and tune in next week when my guest will be improvising cellist Matt Turner. Matt Turner next week. And in the meantime, happy practicing.